Welcome to Courageous Parenting Podcast, a weekly show to equip parents with biblical truth on raising confident Christian kids in an uncertain world. Hi, I'm Angie from Courageous Mom. And I'm Isaac from Resolute Man. We've been married for 21 years and have seen the fruit from raising our eight kids biblically based on the raw truth found in the Bible. We can no longer let the culture win the hearts of children. Too many children from Christian families are walking away from their faith by age 18. And it doesn't have to be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Join us as we start an important conversation about effective parenting in the following world. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Angie's here. All right. And so is a special guest. We have Xander Malachi with us today. We'll see if he makes it through the podcast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we're talking about Mom of Nine shares her last birth story. Mm -hmm. So we're praising God. Thank you for your prayers. Angie's certainly felt Mm -hmm. them. Encouragement. You've gotten a lot of encouragement, huh? Yeah, and I can totally tell a direct correlation between when people are praying and and when, you know, the Lord is allowing me to walk through some hard things, too. So we're going to talk about some of that today. So here we are four weeks after Xander's birth, Mm -hmm. and I think almost six weeks after his due date. Right, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he wanted to stay in there. Yeah, we've had that that go on with a few of our boys. (laughs) Well, we certainly are... Everybody is happy mm-hmm. to have you back on the podcast, Ange. Thanks. I mean, they tolerated me for a few weeks, but... No, I hear you did a pretty awesome job, so oh, I listened you. to some of them. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. So that means a lot when your wife listens to your podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to dive into this. We have a lot. Uh, we'll have a good discussion on this. I think this will be helpful even if people aren't having more kids because you always know people having kids. No, you're totally right. And I think that sometimes it's also easy for people to assume that postpartum for someone else is the same as what they experienced. And that's not true. We all know that in our heads. But maybe just hearing some of our testimony and as we're sharing our story, you'll um, maybe God will, you know, impress upon you more compassion for moms who are in postpartum that's that's my hope Um, and for those of you who maybe it's been a few years since you had a baby good reminders because it's interesting how we forget we so easily forget what it's like going through postpartum and trying to figure out breastfeeding and all that stuff for you know for a new baby it's like starting over again so it really is. And we'll dive in in a sec, but it is a new normal for us. Every new baby mm-hmm. is a new normal for you and the rest of your kids. Yeah. And it's exciting. It's hard. Uh, it's a journey. It's a discovery mm-hmm. of just how you go about your day with a new baby. It's a house. transitional period yeah. of time that it takes everybody and everybody in your family a different amount of time to kind of adjust to what that new normal is. And of course, normal doesn't stay normal for very long because baby has growth spurt, everybody else has growth spurts, things change, seasons change. So just it's a growing adventure always. It is, it it is. And we certainly thank you. It's just a privilege to be able to to do this with all of you. Mm -hmm. It's the One Million Legacies movement, and we really just feel like we're so blessed to be able to, one, be home with our kids, two, be impacting so many people for the kingdom of God and mm-hmm. practical insights into marriage and parenting. Yeah. And it just is amazing that God directed us this way, really said, no, you're going to go do this. And mm-hmm. uh, it's been an amazing journey. So we just thank you for your encouragement. Uh, we thank you for your donations. 
We thank you when you purchase a product, when you share, when you write written reviews at iTunes and all that. It just really means a lot to us. And so that's how we provide for our large family of now 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh it's been amazing so thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts so let's dive in and i thought we would kick it off in deuteronomy uh 7 13 why don't you okay deuteronomy 7 13 he will love you bless you and multiply you he will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. Blessing your womb and other things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting how we've experienced that over the years, um, that the correlation between those things, right? right? And I know that there are times, I'm just gonna be real transparent, you guys, you know that we're an open book and I share transparently on social media all the time. Um, but I'm today in the podcast as I'm sharing um, about the birth story and even just a little bit before because I think that that should be encouraging to some of you. Um, I'm going to share the real, the raw, I'm not going to hold anything back per se. So um, I, I think that it's easy sometimes to think that people have it all together when they see people on social media. And that, oh, man, life is just easy for them. And they just never have a hard go of anything. And the reality is, is life is life mm -hmm. for everybody. Mm -hmm. I still have responsibilities that are mundane things that I have to do. Um, even if I have a platform on social media. And I think that sometimes people forget that, right? That we all actually have a lot in common. We all have dishes and laundry and we have to vacuum and... We have to talk to our kids when they're fighting and we have to communicate with our husbands mm -hmm. and sometimes there's tears and sometimes there's joys and mm -hmm. all those things. And so um, I, my heart today is not to scare anybody out of having another baby um, or, or even describe not not scare but discourage people um i i hope that you see through my brokenness jesus and what he's been teaching me during this time and you guys the other thing that's really interesting about this is like i'm sitting here i have a book on childbirth and i've been a postpartum educator for a long time mm -hmm. actually the postpartum course we created five or six years ago now yeah and so you would think with all my training and education and experience, having already had eight kids, that nothing would really faze me, right? But the reality is, is that God allows us to walk through things so that we can continually learn, but also stay humble. Yeah. I think that's what he wants from us all. It's so true. It's so true. And I've seen just as from the husband's perspective, you learn every single time. But I think part of the reason you learn every time is because you're trying to learn. There's it's a lot of people attitude. that don't yes. try to learn. They just sure. go to an easier route. Right. Or they want to ignore it and stuff it and not deal with it, yeah. which we know that that's not ever good. And so for us, a lot of the work, even during the hormonal times, I'll just bring that up, during the hormonal highs or lows or whatever, um, and when I'm in the midst of wincing trying to teach a baby how to breastfeed again and Isaac and I communicate 
and I have to share with him where I'm at and he'll ask me where I'm at and he'll at times he'll just look at me and I'll say I need this right now or I can't handle that or and he'll protect me and he'll go and he'll deal with it and so there's there's a team atmosphere that really needs to take place in postpartum that helps you to have a a better healing time and actually be able to delight and enjoy postpartum even though some things about it are just hard they just are no i know i know and you're talking about postpartum because that's what you're in right now but i think people want to reel the tape back for a second and they want to understand the story here and so let's start with you are overdue Mm -hmm. and you're feeling extremely weak in fact i would say you were physically the weakest maybe i've ever seen you Mm -hmm. yeah it's um well, for a long time during that pregnancy, I was very tired and feeling like, well, I told Isaac I felt the weakest I had ever been um, to the point where there were times where I was like, I don't know if I can actually do this. Now, every woman gets to like a, a stage, it's actually transition during labor when they say I can't do this. But for me, before even going into labor, I was like, I know what it takes. I've done this naturally eight times, and I am worried that my body is failing me. There were some things that I was struggling with in pregnancy, that like blood pressure and um, some circulation things in my legs and swelling and just some, a few different things that were going on, off and on. And when I would take care of myself and I would treat them, they would start to go away, which was great. But as you know, being a mom of many mm-hmm. and all the things that we had going on here, it was hard for me to always be taking care of myself to the level that I needed to be to keep those symptoms at bay. And so it was exhausting. It really was. Um, obviously, you guys kind of know the story that our due date changed and I was due a whole four and a half, almost five weeks earlier than what we originally anticipated. Um, we had an ultrasound done, and part of that was because I wasn't feeling right. I was feeling like a woman feels in her ninth month, but I was supposed to be like almost eight months, right? And so um, finding out that was a huge relief to me. It made sense. I was able to give myself the grace that I needed to go, oh, I'm feeling this way because I'm getting towards the end. I don't have two months left. I have three. Or, but you one, know what I mean? One of the things that's important for people here, I think, is you literally were concerned. Yes. I don't think I can do this. Yeah. And what, and in saying that, again, a lot of women actually, I think most women think that about many births, mm-hmm. right? I actually hadn't ever thought that before. Yeah. And I know that might, I, I'm not trying to sound prideful at all. I just, I took care of, and I did take, try to take care of myself during yeah. this too. It's just, there were a lot of different variables. And I think that God allowed me to walk through this so that I would have compassion and understanding for the women who feel this way when they're pregnant, where I literally was like, it's not that I don't want to. I actually wanted to give birth naturally. I actually wanted to, but it was this, I don't think it, I have what it takes anymore. And it, and it wasn't that I was believing lies. It was literally an assessment, a realistic assessment of how I was feeling. Well, you're in your and early was, 40s. Right. You're extra fatigued. I had had HG again. We had moved. 
there were some things that were just it's harder when you have older kids too and you're dealing with some of communication stuff there's just all kinds of things right like so you're staying up late at night like we we share that with you guys on the podcast we love our late nights with our teenagers that's a special time but that means less sleep for mom and you know, so it's interesting. i was more tired I, I might have shared this in the episode where i talked about the birth but um it's you have to protect your wife during this time it's so important and I was really trying to protect my wife. But we were also trying to have balance. We're trying to have balance. But it was yeah. hard. There was like one thing after another, uh, <laughs> relational stuff, uh, stuff outside of our family. Yeah. It was just things were piling up, and piling they were up big and, and heavy. Communicating with us, and they were heavy, and it was, it was delaying things. Yeah. So there would be times. Um, I don't know if you guys know what prodromal labor is or not. Um, it's a lot of times people get it confused with Braxton Hicks. So um, when you've had many babies like I have, oftentimes Braxton Hicks can even start occurring in the second trimester, which they did for me. I was about five months along when I started experiencing some Braxton Hicks, and I know exactly what those are, and I know the difference between those and labor contractions. But I started having prodromal labor, which I have had since my sixth baby weeks before giving birth and so for me it's never this whole oh I'm having contractions and I'm gonna have a baby it's oh yep okay my body's starting to work now the relaxing hormones definitely working because my hips out of joint and I'll see the chiropractor and they'll Mm -hmm. confirm oh man you're out here and you know so for me and my body which is different than you you may not experience this but my body does labor like contractions at like you know stage one labor contractions for weeks on end leading up to the birth which can be a good thing but it can also be very exhausting Mm -hmm. and so for me being older and then the lack lack of sleep at times and just all the different things it definitely all played a part for me in feeling weak and um i think that everybody was excited and anticipating the baby there was a little bit of um unknowing of okay so is the new due date really the real due date and so there was it kind of felt like a ticking time bomb in some ways and i know that every mom feels that way when they're about to have a baby but for us the unknowing was definitely there was a part that was unlike any other pregnancy i'd had and you know it's interesting because it challenged me to have to give up surrender if you will control more so to the lord and really trusting him and listening to my body and not listening to what other people think is happening with my body and and asking me is this what's happening with you um and i mean like friends and family and so forth and having to just go okay any stress could potentially delay labor so i need to be careful and set boundaries around certain conversations and people and things like that so that I can fully focus when I'm having contractions and there were multiple times where I'd be having contractions in those two weeks Mm pre-birth where something like a big conversation wasn't even necessarily a bad one like I remember Mm -hmm. even just I'll share transparently our son had been visiting friends in a different state and I started having contractions and so I had people praying for my contractions to stop till he got home and then he got home and he was sick and so then the prayers were okay can we pray that the baby doesn't come until he's well then he got well and then a few days later he's like oh I want to go serve at this Christian camp which we really felt like if I hadn't been in that state of being pregnant 
we for sure would have thought this is a fantastic opportunity for you. You cannot say no to this. This seems like it's the Lord's will. And here I was in my head, in my head, not out my mouth, in my head struggling because I really wanted him to be here to meet his baby brother. Mm-hmm. And so here I am, the mom of the 18-year-old that wants to let him grow up and be a man and do the things he feels that God's calling him to do. But at the same time, I want him, I selfishly wanted him to meet his brother, which totally makes sense. But in the end, having to do what's right, and we did, and we gave him the counsel we did, which was to go ahead and go. And and I'm really proud of him, but that was like a, that conversation happened when I was having prodromal labor contractions, and they yeah. were starting to get five minutes apart. And then all of a sudden, there's this huge like, for me, it was stressful, a decision that needed to be made when really it was an exciting thing. Yeah. But so it's like that kind of stuff and hard stuff too, where you just every single time I would start having those contractions there are about three different instances, something would happen and then they would stop. So what are the things you did to keep yourself focused on God and surrendered? So we have this dry erase board that my um, daughter, Megan, I had her write down a bunch of Bible verses on the dry erase board for me that I was meditating on during the pregnancy. And I'll share some of those with you guys today. Um, But that for me was huge because it was in our room and I would look over at it and read it a lot. And what's interesting is we left those on the board, even postpartum. I think we just erased them like a week ago. Um, cause we needed the dry erase board for something else. And even in the times of nursing, when I was distracted or discouraged or having a hard time, I just look over at the board and I'd start meditating on a different Bible verse and reading it out loud to myself. Even I think there were times where you'd walk in and I'd be like rereading the same verse over and over again, you know, from the mouths of infants and nursing babes, the Lord will establish his strength, which is in the old Testament and um, I had to say that over and over again as I was trying to, to nurse Xander and he had some struggles. And so um, that was huge. Music sets the atmosphere and mm-hmm. just brings everything into perspective for me. It helps me when I'm worshiping the Lord and even just listening to songs. And this is the other thing. I think a lot of times our society tells us that, oh, if you have baby blues and you cry, then you're a failure or you're headed towards postpartum depression. And the reality is, is no, like your hormones have to come down and they have to go up and they have to come down. They have to balance out. And so embracing those times and just letting the tears flow is actually what's really healthy. And so, yes, I was using oils and I was doing supplements and listening to music and praying and all those things, but you have to embrace them and let the tears out. One of those scriptures is in Romans 8.18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory Mm -hmm. that is to be revealed to us. That was at the top of the dry erase board, I think. And I remember looking at that one during the two weeks leading up where it was like prodromal labor and, and just being tired and weak and going, okay, listen, this is nothing compared to what Jesus went through and it's worth it and God sacrificed his son for us. And I just, it's inspiring to me to think that way. And I think that, you know, if you guys listen to the podcast where Isaac shared a bit of his perspective on the birth story, but I'll tell you like days before I gave birth to Xander, I was 
tired, exhausted. Isaac had taken the boys down to the beach to kind of get their wiggles out and play and have some fun with them. And so the house could be quiet for me. And Megan stayed with me. And we did like a makeover day. And she took pic- like pregnancy pictures of me, which I'm so thankful that she did. Because otherwise I wouldn't have like special pictures with Xander. And I really wanted that. And um, it was fun, but it was it. I was really tired. And so... Um, she helped me do that, and um, I remember one of the pictures just sitting on the chair that's on our porch, which I had done multiple times while I was pregnant, and just looking out at the hills and going, oh, man, I hope this is the right decision to have a home birth. And mm-hmm. I I would contemplate. I wouldn't worry, but I was like, I really hope this is the right decision, and Lord, would you please close doors if you don't want us to do this this way? And if you do, will you just bring about a peace? And um, then a few days later, I was having um, more serious contractions, and, and then I went to bed. And we had planned on taking the midwife's brew, which if you guys are curious about what that is, it's also called midwife's cocktail. It's like a German um, mixture of ingredients that, that they used to use in hospitals for a really long time to help women to encourage labor. Um, yes, it has some castor oil in it, but it doesn't taste bad at all when you make it with apricot juice and we use lemon verbena tea. Um, and anyway, there's four ingredients. If you want the recipe, you can go look at my Instagram. It's a, there's a picture of Isaac with a tray Boy, full of would, apricots. That was an adventure <laughs> trying to get those four pieces of those ingredients. Uh, oh, man. I went for two hours out there in every store I could find and I could only find two of them. The tea was not, impossible, not findable. And, and so, the apricot nectar was also out of stock at every store you went to. So I just bought to. a whole bunch of apricots, apricots so and we could make juice. It was such a fiasco. So I was using my juicer first, and I like texted my midwife a picture and was like, one apricot gave me like a spoonful of juice. And she's like, just puree it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have a Vitamix. What am I thinking? So <laughs> anyways, so, uh, but then the, you know, the next day I found the tea. Um, yeah, you did. And so we made this drink on the day that we had Xander. So mm-hmm. I think that it did help. I got felt nauseous, like mm-hmm. I was going to vomit about an hour after taking it. And then I took a nap. I never actually ended up vomiting. Um, I took a nap, woke up, had some very mild contractions that were maybe like, they're very regular, between 7 and 11 minutes apart. And I just had worship music going. And then um, things got to be about six minutes apart, and so I called my midwife, and she came over and was there for when we had a nice dinner. And so we had dinner, and I had a little bit more of the drink, and we, and we went on a walk, and then we came back, and contractions started. And Now let's pause for a second, mm-hmm. because you know interventions lead to more interventions more interventions and so you could consider that being an intervention yeah technically um the thing about that tincture is that if you're not really in labor it's not going to work and so um and it wasn't like breaking water where if you break your water and then doctors are like oh you have 24 hours to give birth or infection can set in like nothing bat it's apricot nectar and a little bit of castor like so it's a natural solution that only works when you're already Already in Ready to labor, go. yeah, and primed. And we knew, like, I had been dilated. I had been having the prodromal labor for three or four weeks. Yeah. I had seen the chiropractor. Like, I was there. Yeah. So, and I was 12 days overdue. Yep. So. So it worked, mm-hmm. and 
we had been praying, I've been praying, and you've been praying too, mm-hmm. for God to have mercy on you. Yes. And so we're just like, God, you're going to have to do this because mm-hmm. she's so fatigued. Yep. She's, there's, you know, uh, fatigue just over a long period of time. I don't know what you call it. But exhaustion or burnout. Exhaustion, nine kids, <laughs> raising burnout. kids, breastfeeding, I was, yes. nine, you know, eight kids so far. Yeah. And now the ninth and just, uh, just a long term mm-hmm. tired, a deeper tired from well, all Well, and you know, a lot of it too, just, um, even adding on things like ministry and I yeah. love, it's all things I love. I love being a stay at home mom. I love doing ministry. I love doing this podcast. But every little thing added up, it's like it all adds up to Not to mention we moved, we remodeled, yeah. we, you know, did all yeah. kinds of different things. Yeah, there's been a lot. And I, it's interesting how when you're pregnant too, like sometimes you think you have the energy to do things and then all of a sudden you pay for it a little bit more, which is the same for postpartum if you're not careful. And so one of the things that I've really learned over the years is that you do have to pace yourself and take care of yourself. And that's something I didn't do with our first like four kids. I didn't pace myself well. And I have been doing that more so this time, which is why I'm very protective of my six week postpartum time. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very protective of the weeks leading up to the birth in a lot of ways. I don't like overdoing it. I, yes, I nest, but I'm, I kind of shy back from having too many people over doing too many things just because I know I need to rest. Oh, it's so important. Yeah. I'm seeing it more than ever. Right. Of how important it is. It really is. I wish when I was younger I saw how important it was. Well, I wish I did too, but it's just something that you learn with hindsight, I think. Well, let's talk about, so your, you you know, contractions are really picking up. We we did that walk. We come back inside. The drink is doing its thing Mm -hmm. and everything's getting going. Yeah. So I ate last supper. Everybody had a last supper together and it was a really good meal. And then I drank a little bit more and within 15 minutes, I um, started having some serious contractions. Um, We started filling up the tub and I had about six, seven contractions that were like breathable, like, you you know, I'm swaying with you or I'm Mm -hmm. on the birthing ball, um, singing worship music, uh, you know, in the washroom, wherever I need to be, but there were about six or seven contractions while you were filling up the birthing tub Mm -hmm. at our house. And it took longer to fill up the birthing tub than it did to birth him in it. And so I got in it, you started the video camera to get the birth on video, and the video is only 19 minutes long. And really like the contraction just before I got in the tub was like my first real like okay I'm in transition now I feel like I'm on the verge of vomiting like I and I had those feelings of I'm so tired I don't know if I'm gonna have the energy to do this long term if it ends up being an eight hour process I remember thinking that in my head and going I physically can't do this and praying out praying to God and listening to worship music and saying Lord you're gonna have to deliver me you're gonna have to do this this is 100% has to be you. And I just surrendered to that, surrendered to what was going on in my body, was really thankful with each contraction that that contraction was there and that I made it through it. Like in mm-hmm. be, at the end of each contraction, I remember closing my eyes and Megan would either hand me a cold washcloth or I'd make eye contact with my midwife or you'd be holding my hand or whatever it was. I 
there was these three or four little triggers that would remind me, thank God for that progress that you, you've made. And didn't you kind of feel like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, and then, oh, I must be transitioning? Yeah, and that's kind of what, I mean, being a birth doula, that's something I've seen in every mom. You were like coaching yourself. I Yeah, internally. I didn't even verbalize it this time, which I don't, the, even with Eli with the eighth, I looked at, Megan was at our birth with Eli too, and I remember telling her, you know that feeling? Yeah, I just had that. <laughs> like, I, that was how I verbalized it with her um, during Eli's birth, but this time I just, in my head, I didn't even have the time because then I was pushing him out. And so... It was just two and a half pushes, right? Yeah. And once you're in the tub? Yeah, so it was four contractions and then two or pushes. Or six, I think you said, but then yeah. a couple pushes yeah. in the tub. So, um, and then, yeah, he had a cord wrapped around. The midwife helped um, spin the baby um, and he was in my arms And we were just, we were just praising God. I started cheering. Yeah. yeah. I was so excited because it was just... God had mercy on you. He I mean, did, I was excited and that was to meet exactly what I Xander, said right away. but I was like, "Wow, look at what God did!" Yeah, He had mercy on my wife. Yeah, because we had been praying for that every day. It was mm-hmm. like, "Lord, please have mercy." And this was our first home birth, and I remember like, um, and that's for different reasons. I had had um, three hemorrhages in the past, and uh, the midwives in Oregon that I had met with, some of them were just really encouraging of the hospital, didn't really want to take me on for various reasons. And so that was, um, but mainly because of the hemorrhage and liability. And so, and I totally understood that. So the last couple babies that we had, Solomon and Eli were born in the hospital. Yeah. Whereas some of the, like Ethan and Luke were at the water birth center in Portland. And, and so, um, this was like a dream come true for me because I'd always wanted to have a home birth. I've served at home births and hospital births alike. I had done hospital water birth and I really wanted to do a home birth too. And it was it was just a desire of my heart so that I could I could experience all of those things with the Lord and for our family to experience it too. Like for the kids not to be delayed. Like the boys were obviously for modesty reasons were not in the birth. Um and after Xander was born, we were able to put towels on me while I was still in the tub, and they were able to come in and see the baby and feel the umbilical cord pulsing, and they were like, whoa, this is amazing. And so yeah. very different than when you have a hospital birth, and it's usually like the next day that the, the younger kids get so, brought over by a relative or somebody driving. It was driving. so precious. All yeah. the kids together. We got pictures right away. It was right afterwards. It was really incredible. In mm-hmm. Psalm 46.5, this is one of the verses on your whiteboard, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Yeah. That was another verse that I I remember looking at when I was having contractions and I was on the birthing ball just before I got in the tub. And I was like, I won't, I won't be moved. I know God is here with us. And you guys, like the thing is, is I've had fast labors before, but never this fast. And, um... I'm really thankful that we had the courage really to trust God, to trust our midwife when she said, Hey, I have a lot of experience. I've been labor and delivery nurse. I've been EMT. I've been Mm -hmm. a midwife for a long time. I carry all the things. Like it was just a real godsend for us to be able to, um, have our midwife 
that we had this time and you know she's a grandma mm -hmm. and she was that great. Titus two woman that you really pray for in your life she was a total answer to prayer because that's what we had been praying for since we moved here because I yeah. found out three days before we moved here and um, the closest hospital is pretty far away so we wouldn't have made it no um, we would have been having it, in, it having yeah, it in the car like the Boise hospital is 51 minutes you know and so it's like Wow, 19 minutes. Yeah, we would have had a baby in the car. That would not have been ideal. Which only God knew that. And so you have to be making decisions around these things mm -hmm. and all important things while you're walking in the Spirit. Because if you're not walking in the Spirit and you're making important decisions, you don't have access to the all-knowing God that knew what was going to happen mm -hmm. and that we wouldn't make mm -hmm. it. We didn't know that. Yeah. But we made a wise choice without knowing what's going to happen because God was influencing us. Right. Is God influencing you when you're making your important decisions? Yeah. And I mean, I I totally believe that God delivered me, delivered Xander, because, I mean, he was a 9-pound, 15-ounce baby. That's not a small. That's my second largest baby. Solomon was 10-5. And to have him so quickly, so gently, so peacefully in our home, like the kids were getting put down for bed when he was born. Like Drew was putting Solomon and Eli to bed and he was yeah. like, yeah, when you guys wake up, you're going to have a baby brother. And then all of a sudden, you know, Megan tell or Megan tells Ethan, go get the kids. The baby's here. Um, and Drew's like, whoa, what? <laughs> they didn't even go to sleep. Like we just read a book and <laughs> got oils on and all the things. And so, um, it was just really neat because the the boys they jokingly were like, I was waiting to hear some like mooing sounds because I had told them like sometimes moms make noises that you've never heard them make before. They groan or they you know they say open and they get really low, kind of like a kind of like a cow, you know. And so they were like expecting some crazy noises of some kind. I don't know what they all expected, but they were like, wow, mom, that was fast. That was amazing. I didn't they hear They hardly that. heard or, anything, yeah. Yeah. And so it was really beautiful. They um, they came in and praised God. There was no hemorrhage this time, which he's in control of that. It was just very gentle in that regard as well. Well, let's talk about postpartum to finish off. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we could do a whole episode on this, and I'm sure you will because you're in it. Right, mm -hmm. so you're. Gonna... We'll share more once we're out of the journey, mm -hmm. but yeah, we're we're four and a half weeks. But in. postpartum's been pretty hard because breastfeeding has not been. That's been easy. my my biggest challenge this time. Which you know, after you've nursed, I added it up. It's over twelve years of my my life I've breastfed my kids. Okay, so it's not for a lack of experience or know how. Um, what I always tell moms is that this is a new baby. The new baby doesn't know how to nurse. Mm -hmm. So you may know what you're doing, but they don't. And I tell myself that as well. So for me, in my head, there is no temptation to compare this breastfeeding to any other press, previous breastfeeding experiences. It's a new child. Um, and I wish that I could say the same for birth, but a lot of times we always do that, right? We look at our past birth experiences and we go, oh, well, I've done this and this and this, so likely I'll do this. And the reality is, is God's going to wow us and show us that we can't predict things. This is These are the things that teach us that control is an illusion. We like to have control. We like to know what to expect. But in reality, we really need to trust the Lord and we need mm -hmm. to lean into him because we don't know. 
And that's why this season, a lot of times people call young motherhood or motherhood of littles the trenches because it's so sanctifying. Mm. And that realization and dealing with the selfishness or the pain or the different things, the physical exhaustion, the the sleeplessness added into all of it. Well, let's just get raw here real quick. Yeah. So you have a high pain tolerance. That's something I know about you. Mm-hmm. And I believe I saw you in the most pain or one of the few times you've had the most pain um, in your life yeah. when he chewed a piece of you off yeah mm-hmm. literally you're, you're I mean baby doesn't have teeth and is a newborn um, and it's actually it was less biting and more he has a tongue tie and so he wasn't able to latch on properly and get a good latch and that injured me and I know a lot of women who struggle with this um, a lot of a lot of people that I have served and walked with in life have had kids that have had lip ties or tongue ties or whatever you know Um, we have other kids that have had them as well and there's a lot of different ways to go about tongue ties I think a lot of times people jump towards doing the procedure because it is a faster way to get the outcome that you want um and there's nothing wrong with that um and i we still may end up moving forward with the procedure but right now we're in a waiting period because we're seeing a cranial sacral therapist who's actually also a lactation consultant and she's we've been making massive progress to where um i was using nipple shields and that was a huge help as far as the pain went so that I could heal. I found out some other awesome tools um, that I have tried that I didn't have to try in the past because I didn't struggle with this issue. So you've, you've been learning a ton. Well, which is cool. a lot of it is tools that I knew about before, but I just never needed to use them myself in my right. own personal experience. But until you use them personally, you don't fully know. Right. Yeah. And so like silverette cups are just amazing tools you got to google those if you are struggling with um, breastfeeding they're amazing or mastitis if you get mastitis a lot um there's a lot of really cool things that i have learned as far as having a personal conviction now i have a personal testimony of them helping me for sure um but xander is making really good progress with the therapy that we are doing we have about 11 to 16 exercises that we do with him every two hours in between feedings which can be exhausting we've been triple feeding around the clock um so of course every two hours um, which is actually more like every 40 minutes i'm starting over in the process so lots of cleaning bottles for me yes and a haka like the haka is something that i've used a lot the last two babies especially those things i i couldn't do it without it it's just part of it let's back up for a second though because when he was born he was 9 15 mm-hmm. and then every day he was losing weight which is normal in the first few days i understand but it's normal in the first week but yeah. but he 7%. kept losing weight mm-hmm. and he went a full pound lower a little bit more than a pound a little bit yeah. more than yeah, a pound lower than his birth weight and it took us the full last four weeks to, to get him back to well, his birthday. Well, three more weeks. Yeah, so the first week he lost a lot, and then he still... So that's concerning. That's concerning. And I remember bit, yeah. you, you're wondering if it's if it's you. Right. Maybe I'm uh-huh. older and I don't have my milk's missing yep. something. Yep. All these concerns. I'm not sure and, if he was getting enough. And then, yeah. you know, you found out it's him. He's got... A tongue tie that's tongue not tie. allowing him to pull enough milk. Yeah. And he's not he's not breastfeeding correctly, and it's right. hurting you. Yeah. 
And so then we're like, okay, this might be the time we need to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fix this tongue tie. But right. then we're always, we don't just jump on the easy solution. We think and we pray and we go, mm-hmm. okay, there's some trauma with that. Yeah. There's some extra work actually for two months. Yeah. And if we don't have to do it, what is that path? Mm-hmm. We're always looking for that. Well, and with this specific scenario, I've had other kids that obviously had it as well. They were able to get that assessed, and um, I even have one. And so to go, okay, well, we were able to move forward with this. we got to get through the trenches of the first few weeks postpartum. I need to be really active with the exercises, and I need to engage him. And this needs to be my only priority. This is all I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to nurse a baby, and I'm going to sleep. When he sleeps, and literally and that so is all like you've been doing. All I'm doing, yeah. And so, and that we're making part sure she's fed. We're, hard. Yeah. we're like cooking. Like I, I'm not even taking care of myself in that regard. They're taking care of me, and I'm taking care of Xander. And it's teamwork. Yeah, it is. It's a teamwork thing. And I think that even though it's hard, there's an aspect of the kids seeing like, wow, look at the sacrifice that mom's making. I hope they see that. Mm-hmm. I hope they see that, and they they don't go, oh man, it's hard. I don't want another child. That's not it. Like I hope they go. Well, look how much mom loves Xander. And Xander's going to be healthy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, look at the sacrifice that she's made. And that's what I hope the kids see. Um, because they definitely all see him as a blessing. They always want to hold him and kiss him. And they're, you know. And so it, there's an element there of like when, when you walk through those life trials, if you will, that are even like normal things. Letting your kids see and not pretending like everything is okay and hiding it all from them. Like, if we want to raise mature children, then we have to engage and be willing to be transparent in an open book and show them when we're weak. If we're not showing them when we're weak and we're not saying, I need help or I can't do this, then all we're teaching them to be is prideful. Then it's hard to have relationships when you're prideful no. like that and you don't let people in. Maybe, maybe even you're listening and that's why you're having a hard time having relationships mm-hmm. is that we think we have to be more perfect mm-hmm. than we are. And we don't let our guard down. And we're guarded in our relationships. And then people look at us as prideful. And you don't really feel like you're being prideful, but that's how you come across. Right. And so it's important that like during these times, you share with your kids, but you have that perspective of, but it's worth it. Yeah. Because it is. It's so worth it. Like I even yesterday was Independence Day. And Isaac and I took this picture with Xander. We had thought about getting all the kids in it. And I was like, oh, man, that's just a lot of work. And We need a bigger flag just, for that. We need a bigger flag, a bigger area. <laughs> and anyway, so we decided to just do a picture of us with Xander um, for to encourage you guys. Um, and you quoted Ronald Reagan. What was the quote? Oh, I'll have to get it's, it. I think it's, um, I we're, we're only one generation away from the extinction of freedom. Freedom or is never more than one generation away from extinction. Mm-hmm. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, mm-hmm. protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. And so it was interesting last night I was reading that and um, I realized we are contributing by the grace of God and by his will we're contributing to three generations we have children in three deck well three decades worth of children right we've had babies in our 20s babies in our 30s and babies in our 40s 
And I just look at that and I go, the next generation, like I'm, I'm not doing this for me, I do this for God. I'm not doing this for me, I do this for the generations that are coming. I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing this for him, for them to fulfill the, the plan and the purpose that God has for them. And I just think that it's, it's an important cause to remember why we're doing what we're doing and to make sure that that's verbalized to our children so that they understand the immense importance of heritage and the gift that children really are, that they're worth the sacrifice. And it, it speaks very boldly to what Jesus Christ did when he came and died for us on the cross because he died for all of his children right he died unto himself he surrendered his will unto god's will and and I, it's not always easy but it's worth it it is in psalm 8 2 it's one of your mm-hmm. scriptures on the board yep. you have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy mm-hmm. and the avenger that's motivating right which is part of that concept we were just talking about about having them for future generations yeah to protect, to share the gospel, to lead people to Christ, to make, to do the Great Commission, to partner, right? So often you can, when you have young kids, you can feel like, and I imagine uh, for moms especially when the kids are real young, am I doing something really important? Am I doing something that is world-changing? Am I fulfilling my callings in life and having these questions and you can look to others and go, wow, look at what they're doing, you know. But what you're doing is most important because you literally replicated yourself. There's literally a, another human being that's going to live even longer than you, and then they're going to have kids. And the impact of that is far more than what you could just do. It's exponential. But I think of it more of, I mean, it, it it's... It's more than even like you said, replicate yourself. And I think that there's this element of like understanding that they're not ours either. They may Amen. look like us and yeah. yeah, they have our blood and their like, they're totally veins unique, and yeah. like, but they're gods and he chooses who he's going to ordain really to raise his children. And it's an honor and it's a privilege and it's a responsibility. Um, and there's an element of like wanting to give it your best and wanting to give it your all and in this reality of how hard it can be whether it's in the pregnancy or in the birth or in the postpartum and it all is preparing you for the next thing we've talked about that in previous podcasts that concept of growing your capacity Mm -hmm. and i just like i look at this and i go yeah this has grown my capacity more this has even though i still feel weak because I'm consumed with feeding him right now. There's this part of me that like, this has prepared me. Now I have another testimony that I can share with women. Now I have another way I can encourage women. Now I have more things that I've learned that I have personal experience in that I can speak to, that I can be that Titus to woman in another person's life. And the only, the best way to do that is to be fully transparent. That's why I'm sharing this stuff with you. It's not for you to think, oh yeah, she just reminded me all those things is why I don't want another kid. I hope that none of you say that. Instead, I hope you hear what I'm saying right now, which is I never, and I hope you never, want to be the tightest to woman or the tightest to man 
that hides the hurt, the pain, the hard things from the people that you are mentoring. Because the reality is it's in those hard things that you learn the most valuable lessons from the Lord that have the hindsight, that have the wisdom, that have the golden nuggets that are far above rubies. Those are the things that need to get passed to the next generation. Not this facade of I have it all together, I'm okay, I'm not going to share anything. And so I've never wanted to be that Titus 2 woman that portrays like, oh, I have a postpartum course. That means my postpartums are perfect. No, like the postpartum course that we have was built on the back of having hard postpartums and having to figure out the most natural way to heal from these things. Seeking out humbly from midwives and doctors and naturopaths and craniosacral therapists and chiropractors and endlessly, tirelessly, not giving up and trying to find the right solutions that were going to be the healthiest for me and the baby. And set your marriage up for success right. too because we do it together. Do it together and learn. Right. And, and, and it grows us stronger. The hard things grow stronger as you're having to give up yourself to serve me, how I'm having to like try to verbalize and communicate the things that I need and ask for help. It's completely humbling to have to ask for help over and over again even if it's something as stupid as can I have more water mm-hmm. when you've already asked for water 12 times that day not that you're not getting it it's that you're drinking a lot of water and so my point is is like there's this element of like you have a need and it's humbling and sanctifying for you to ask for help so you better ask for help but it's also humbling and sanctifying for your husband and for the other people in your home that are having to serve you. And it's growing them in selflessness, which is a good thing. How do you reconcile and deal with your own selfishness? Because we're all selfish at times. And you have other things, dreams and things you probably want to do. I know you were starting to get a little feisty about politics and things like that before you (laughs) were pregnant with Xander. And, you know, how do you deal with your own selfishness? I think that's a really loaded question. We have a squirming waking up baby. but um, Well, we could do that in the next episode. Yeah, maybe we could. I think that there's this part of me, though, that realizes there's seasons for things. I think about Ecclesiastes 3. You guys can go look it up, verse 12, which says there's a season for everything. Um, and I have always been very realistic with my seasons. I've stepped away from full-time ministry to embrace the season I was in. Um because I didn't want things to potentially disqualify me in the future from ministry. Um, Not that you can do all things perfectly. It's not about living a perfect life and that's what qualifies you. That's not it. It's that you need to give God your first things first and you need to be honest with yourself about if you can actually handle taking on more in the season that you're in and your kids are still gonna thrive or if they're going to be on survival mode and not doing well. And so, Like, yeah, I have a lot of dreams, but I get that there's seasons and God is still teaching me. You guys have heard me say it a million times. I think God is laughing up in heaven when he looks at Angie because he goes, oh yeah, she needs so much sanctifying. I'm going to give her another one. (laughs) And because it's truthfully sanctifying over and over again. And there are times when I do get to that place where I go, I'm done. I don't want to be sanctified anymore. I don't want this anymore Um, because I'm human. Mm -hmm. But in the end, what do I choose to do? 
that's what's really what's important, right? Like in our humanity, we think, oh, woe is me, we have pity parties. In our humanity, we dwell on the hard things. In our humanity, we say things we don't mean. In our humanity, sometimes we make decisions irrationally. But in the end, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And that's what God cares about. And so for me, my heart's cry when I'm struggling is, but God, help me to obey you. Amen. Help me to do your will. And I don't always know what that is. Usually I do, and usually it calls for sacrifice. But I'm always glad I did. When I look back on those decisions that I made, I yeah. look back on them and I don't have regret. Amen. We don't want to live a life of regrets, and it usually calls you to do the harder thing that breaks you out of your comfort zone, and you just sometimes in the moment don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And you're obedient, as Angie's talking about. And then there's no regret later, and there's greater mm-hmm. fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. Yeah. And there's more, in this case, in this example, mm-hmm. more people in the world yeah. to glorify the Father. There is. So before we wrap up, I just there's something that's on my heart that I want to share with you that are listening. And you know that I had a home birth. So I've had many hospital births. I've had water birth, center births, and now we've had a home birth. And I want to make sure that you don't think that I'm of the mindset that one is more holy than the other. And I'm bringing this up because we talked about the importance of making that decision in alignment with listening to God. Mm -hmm. And for us this time, listening to God meant having a home birth for us last time. And the time before last, it meant having a hospital birth. Yeah. And I'm saying that because I want you to understand that God has a will for your life and it's not like mine and it's not like your sister's, but he has a unique plan for you and you have to be open to hearing his will. For me, I had to surrender certain fears to have a home birth, right? Because that was his will for us this time. In the past, I had to surrender my agenda of wanting to have a home birth to obey and do the hospital birth. And we were a tremendous light and witness when we were there. And it was a good thing we were there too because during one of those times, I would have hemorrhaged really badly if I hadn't had the doctor that I had. Mm And so I think that it's very important that you don't just look at us and go, oh, so she prayed about it and the conclusion was have a home birth, then maybe I should just do that too. And I don't think that you would think that way, but I just want to make sure that I'm very crystal clear that it is a matter of what is God's will for your life, for what you are walking through. And you need to make that in alignment with your husband and you need to just walk in confidence and peace in that decision but also hold it open-handed because God might throw you a curveball at the end that makes you have to either trust him and move forward with it or surrender your birth plan to him again in an obedience to be doing what he really wants you to do. Well, thank you so much for joining us and we hope this was an encouragement to you Mm -hmm. and please share it if you love it. See you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. For more resources, go to Courageous Parenting and CourageousMom.com for free online workshops, blog posts, and best-selling courses. Also, we wanted to quickly tell you about our six-week online parenting mentor program. Isaac and I created a powerful biblical curriculum. Here's how it works. Each week, we release a video with a downloadable parenting packet to make it easy for you to incorporate those teachings directly into your parenting. This is an incredible self-paced program where we cover everything from obedience 
obedience training to overcoming mistakes most Christians are making. But more than that, it's a supportive community. You'll have access to our private online group, live webcasts, and the Courageous Parenting text message line where Angie and I can send you weekly encouragements straight to your phone. If you're interested in joining our next online parenting mentor program, secure your spot now at CourageousParenting.com. That's CourageousParenting.com.